If you're visiting this morning, this is not a normal Sunday. If you want to see a normal, come back next Sunday or just about any other Sunday of the year. We're normally much more text of the Bible driven by a few verses that we're going to sing about and look at and pray about. Today is much more shotgun approach, touching on a number of scriptures, but hope throughout that the, the cumulative effect will be powerful for you and hope it will strengthen your view of the church, whether you attend here or not. If you're newer to this body since last January, and that's 46 of you, if we count the kids, then this is your first time, and we hope it will help hasten your drawing into our body and your recognizing of what our values are, as well as, we hope, stirring you to want to become a formal member. If you came to the welcome class, we kind of said, be here for a bit, get to know us, make sure we're really for you, uh, but anytime now, we would welcome that. If you're not yet a formal member and you have been here for quite some time, and that's uh, about 82 of you that have chosen not to be members, for whatever reasons, many of them, we would just urge you this morning to just prayerfully consider it again. And then if you are members, this Sunday is particularly for you, for us as a body to remind ourselves of the central things that we've made promises about. So, very quickly, we're here this morning to remind ourselves of the promises because we are a forgetful people. In Deuteronomy 4, God actually uses these words to Israel. Do not forget your covenant. We're a forgetful people, and it's very hard for us to keep living in the present for a promise we made a long time ago. Does that make sense? We do it as parents sometimes. I'll get you that as soon as I'm done with this. And so forgetfulness is there. And I recognize that many of you may not even give a thought to this the other 51 Sundays of the year. Hope you do. But we're just here to remind ourselves to think about and to ask God to show us ways in which we individually and as a church need to grow, need to be sanctified more, perhaps need to repent to re-clarify, or the word I like is to recalibrate, just remembering how important the church is to God, and then to recommit ourselves afresh. We don't have a formal stand up and say this pledge, but we do urge you throughout this morning to just be recommitting yourselves to the Lord and asking for his grace to help you live these out. Okay, does everyone have, particularly if you're a normal attender here, but it's, it's a great uh, outline of notes for anybody that's here. If you don't have this now, would you just kind of, I know it's hard to do, just semi-raise your hand and an usher, Brian or Jeff will get you, or the girls will get you something. There we go. Just let them know. They're walking the aisles right now. Would just like to have everybody have that in your hand. So you can see by the bulletin that we're going to basically walk through about four different segments and finish with the Lord's table. Trust that all of these will be an encouragement to you. All right, one of the wordings in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 on the body being many parts and each part having a significant role, I love the wording of verse 18, that God arranges the members, the parts, the people within each and every local church body as well as in his universal body, each one of them. On our level, we're talking about a few hundred. On God's level, he's talking about hundreds of millions, perhaps. Each one of them 
arranged as he chooses for his purposes. So start with just the recognition that everyone in this body is here for whatever earthly reasons you may be here. You're here because God has arranged you to be here, a part of our body as he's chosen. Now, we share numbers with you primarily for this, not to brag. When we're down in numbers, we'll be honest with you about those as well. But this is because every person, or God's wording imagery is sheep, every sheep matters. So the parable with the hundred sheep and the shepherd going after one is a lesson for us as a church as well, that we should know all of the sheep and I don't know if you've ever seen a shepherd with an individual name for each of the sheep in the, I don't know how they do that. They all look basically the same. But each one has a name. Uh, so uh, as, as much as you can, be thinking about this in terms of you knowing each member by name, uh, by person uh, that God's put in this body. Okay, as of January 1st, to the best of our ability to count... God has arranged 358 people who have indicated, either by words or by attendance, that you are a part of this church, that you, this is your church. Um, and that breaks down to 205 adults and, stunningly, 153 under about the age of 20. We're averaging on a Sunday morning 248 people. And if you think about the fact that there's lots of kids in the room, and this, this count includes the children's church children, there's lots of children in the room, and there's always lots of visitors, 10 to 20 per Sunday. It tells us that on every given Sunday, as an average, over 100 to 120 people that normally are part of us are not present. And this morning, we're decimated by sickness. All kinds of people letting us know, can't be there. Uh, got some crud, some bug, some flu. But it's just a reality for us that we actually couldn't fit 358 people in this room. We could fit them in the building, but not in the room. Um, but let's keep praying and asking God to keep growing that aspect of our lives. So out of this number... Uh, 11 people left our church in the last year. Four moved geographically. Seven chose either just not to attend here or to attend somewhere else. I think that's the lowest number we've lost of sheep in a given year in our 14 years of existence. It's a pretty remarkable retention rate. We gained by God's grace and working and arranging 46 people since last January 1. 30 adults with 16 kids. And then on top of that, we added nine more babies by birth. So if you've been here more than two years and you feel like, man, there are a lot of new faces and people I don't know, number one, that's probably very true. Between last year and this year, about 90 new people, adults and children, have come. So 
what that does, is, I hope, is sparks in you, I've got to work harder than I used to to get to know everybody in this body as God calls me to get to know everybody in this body. And I think most of us are introverts and most of us will say 358 people sounds terrifying to try to get to know relationally. But it doesn't matter what our personality is. It matters what God calls us to. So over the course of the year, we had 12 more people become members. And so if you count both our international uh, missionaries who are members as well as everybody here locally, we now have 123 who have pledged their promises to this church and to each other. And we still have about 82 that are not, that we're praying. God will keep stirring your hearts to consider and perhaps to come. There'll be applications today uh, at each exit that you can grab and take with you, especially the 10 or 12 of you that have said for nearly a year or have taken the application, and you don't know where it is now. Here's a fresh version of it. Here's a fresh chance when you sat with us and said, I'd like to become a member, for you to actually take those steps and fill it out today and send it to us or bring it to us next Sunday uh, if the Lord would so stir in your hearts. And then overall, we have 128 households, addresses, places of residences, and that breaks down, interestingly, to 40 singles, 40 married people without children, either haven't had any to begin with, or they're out of the home, and 48 households where children are, those 153 children are being raised. Uh, one other way, <laughs> some of you, this is the most significant thing that happens every year, is who stands and at what time. So <laughs> we're, we're just going to do the ages today by generation. So if you're 19 and younger, would you stand up now or hold up your baby carrier or whatever? Stand up and stay standing for just a bit so the rest of us can look around and see. And we got even a hand being raised. Yes, it's great. All right, you can have a seat. We want you to know that you are a huge and important part of all that we do here. Uh, yeah, love you, love, love being part of discipling you along with your parents. Uh, okay, now it starts to get shaky. I just broke it down by 20s, okay? So 20 to 39-year-olds, please stand up. 20 to 39, be honest, be honest. All right? You're still the youngins. All right, you can be seated. 40 to 59, please stand. This might be our lightest demographic. 40 to 59. All right, you may be seated. It's always hard on couples when one stands in one age segment and the other stands in a different age segment. 60 and above, please stand, if you can. 60 and above, please stand. Thank you. This is who we are by God's design and for God's purposes and for God's glory.
each and every individual, all 358, and there's about four or five that are on their way in the womb to be arriving in 2024, Lord willing. Each and every one important. Do you believe that? Does the way you interact with our body show that you believe that? Is there more that you, God wants you to do to connect more with this body and with the 358 people? I want to finish this segment with this. All of us are under one head, and it ain't me, under Jesus Christ. God has several times in Scripture very specifically said he has made Christ the head of the church and made the church actually be the spiritual body of Christ. Incredible thought, incredible. And in Ephesians 1, adds even the thought of the fullness of Christ for us to fully experience Christ. Some of it actually comes through the body connection. Uh, so we're individually connected to Christ, but also very much so connected to each other as parts of his body. And I love the picture of Colossians 2.19. If you've been here a number of years or the whole time, you've probably heard this at least 25 times from me. But I love this word picture. We're all to be holding fast by faith, clinging to Christ, and then that nourishes us, both individually and as a whole body. This is the intriguing part. It knits us together in all kinds of joints and ligaments that only God can see. We can't see them. We're just connecting relationally because he's nourishing us and he's making those connections. And that together is a growth that comes from God and that is real and that is powerful. The more connected each of us is to Christ, the more connected we will want to be with each other. And the less connected we are to Christ, the less we will be driven to connect with each other. They're interrelated, and what we want to urge is that all of this about feel-good stuff about a body being united together is not for our sake, but for his and for his glory's sake. For the second part of our morning of focus, we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about what the church promises to particularly its members. In essence, we're promising it to everybody who makes themselves a part of our body, but particularly to those who return that promise of commitment to us and ask for our leadership and our accountability by their covenant. So I'm going to ask three, people to, three groups of people to begin to come forward now, if you would. And nobody likes to be up here, but if you would, uh, gather about half and half on each side. Stay close to me. I'm insecure, so come on in. And uh, I just want all of you, come on, come on. I even emailed them yesterday. Come on. Oh, oh, elders. I need to say who they are, right? Elders, deacons, life group leaders, and Sunday school teachers. Thank you. These are the individuals who have the greatest responsibility from the church side, from the member side, to... Thank you. 
to faithfully uphold our promises to you. The elders are the most responsibility. Currently there are five. You can see the names in the bulletin if you have that. Responsible for what this church is about, what we believe and how we hold to those beliefs, what we practice, what we are doing, what we are not doing, what we are becoming. Three scriptures in particular drive the elders, but really are pertinent to all of us who teach God's word to all of you. First of all, from Acts 20, verse 28, Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. And then from Hebrews 13, the call to obey and submit to leaders, but here's why. They are keeping watch over your souls as individuals who will have to give an account to God someday. And then in Jesus' final conversation with Peter, where they're walking on the beach and he asks them three different times, do you love me? With each of those, his three-word answers were, feed my sheep and tend to my lambs. So clearly, God wants us caring for the church, watching over souls, and feeding and tending to his precious sheep and lambs. You may notice, if you know all of the people, if you've been here a while, that uh, there's several deacons gone. One, one deacon couple is here, uh, another one's sick, but Josh and Haley Beeler are not up here. Uh, they have uh, felt the Lord's leading to step down from the office as their kids have uh, grown into more school age. They actually have probably with their kids a, a class D size school <laughs> <clears throat> that they are tending to, but also for some other circumstances in their lives. So we want to thank you, Josh and Haley, for your faithful service to our body for so many situations where you have given counsel and you have acted in very servant and loving ways. Thank you for that. Uh, also, just want you to know that the elders and deacons think through our qualification and character, our qualification in terms of ability to carry out our roles, and we do this at the end of every single calendar year. And so when we stand before you now, we also say that we are asserting that promise afresh and anew to you. And for the life group leaders and the Sunday school teachers and the youth group leaders, whatever, however you want to define all of these, um, we have also carefully sought to put each one into place, not just anybody that volunteers, but looking at their character, their love for the Lord, their love for the Word, and their love for the church. So I want to just start with thank you. Thank you all for what you do for this body in caring for it and in feeding it. Uh, God's word and your love for him and your love for the people. Amongst all the people standing up, not all of us have ministry every single week. Some of us have every other. But between all of us, I would guess that 150 to 200 hours are put in to prepare, teach, pray, and follow up, caring for people out of what we teach and the relationships that we built every single week of the year. We go lighter in the summers, but uh, this is a group that invests tons of hours so that you will be built up in Jesus Christ, 
and so that our body and our whole church will be built up to the glory of Christ. And so leaders, as we walk quickly through these promises, which I trust you have considered afresh that even now God will use this. And for the rest of you, this is for us to be accountable to you. Are we doing these things? So that's what a lot of my questions are but also for you to recognize what God calls those who lead the church toward in his word. So first of all, from our core values, and these first five we would highlight as particularly critical, central, that God's glory is central in all that we do. So do you sense that that is still our aim this past year? Have we shifted? Have we lowered? Have we lessened? Have we talked more about ourselves and less about God and Jesus? Secondly, you might see very similarly, but by this we're saying that Christ is really particularly highlighted because of the gospel and what he's done in providing our salvation. Are we pointing you always toward Christ? Is he preeminent? Is he clearly the most significant thing in all of our lives and in all of our lessons and in all that we're doing? Third, do you sense that we seek to uphold the truth? Are we defending? Are we t explaining it? Are we trying to help you see how it fleshes out? Are we doing it in light of the fact that it's God and not us? Are we not legalistic? Are we not licentious? Are we bringing in the gospel through all of this as we lay out all that God calls us to? Fourth, is the gospel central to all that we do? Is it preeminent in our own lives and it is the focus of our lessons? Are we faithful to proclaim it and to call people to believe and to repent and to follow after Christ as his disciples. Fifth, do we, you sense, in everything, faithfully pray? This is a hard one, because you only see the public prayers or hear the public prayers, but we trust, and it's a, it's a reminder to all of us that this is a critical part of all that we're doing is we're bathing it in prayer. And then five other areas that we think the scriptures say the church is to be faithful toward, one is to put godly leaders in place and then to provide leadership, particularly in the spiritual realm. Now, uh, we, we focus on other things like how do we get the air conditioning to work in here when it's hot and other minor things, but overall we are focused in thinking mostly about how to bring you to maturity. Seventh, to be wise and faithful stewards of all the resources that God has given us. The elders just four days ago approved the 2024 budget. It's been a couple months of searching our hearts for are we spending wisely? Are we being careless in some ways with God's funds? Are we hanging on to too much of them? Should we be using more of them? What do we appropriate those twos? What do we have money for? What don't we have money for? So we've laid that out, and you're welcome when Chad gets back into town to tap him for that. But members will share that with you in our April meeting. But if you want to see that before that, it's certainly accessible to you. And then finally, do you sense that we have a loving accountability among our, ourselves and for this church that we are holding each other to walk faithfully uh, and live out what we proclaim? Ninth, do you sense that we are equipping each person to serve God and to serve this body? And let me just ask you, do you feel equipped do you feel we've invested in you the way that we should and need to for you to be able to function fully as a member of this body? And if not, 
Would you come and let us know how we can help you more? We feel convicted to do more, but sometimes it's not always clear exactly what that looks like. And then finally, all of this so that each of us, every single one of us, is maturing more fully in Christ because as Colossians 1.28, our key verse says, we are ultimately going to, to present everyone to Christ and our goal, our desire, and all that we're warning and all that we're teaching and all the wisdom that we're pouring forth is that it will mature each follower of Christ more fully. I believe and I hope and pray that you will find this group of people to be people who love you, love the Lord, love his word, love this church, and want, what's the word, <laughs> with all their hearts for you to grow in Christ and to know him better and to live more fully in him. So would you, as you're looking at all these faces, thank God for them, pray for them, recognize the great responsibility, but also know that you are blessed every single week because of each of these dear souls and many who are not able to be here today. For our third part of the morning, we're going to spend some time uh, reminding ourselves, particularly members of our covenant commitments, but again, to those of you who aren't, don't check yourself out. These are perhaps not promises you've made in a covenant to us, but they are all critical components of what it means to follow the Lord and to be a part of his church. Alexander Strauch says, every member has a unique high standing and must share in the responsibilities, privileges, ownership, obligations, that's where some of us check out, and building up of the local church. I want to just emphasize as we walk through these covenant commitments also that though they take place on Sunday mornings to some extent, to some significant extent. Far more, they are to be part of who we are the other six and three quarters days that we're not gathered in this building together. I want to always start in our covenant with what is most important, and that is that our covenant will not save any of us. Our commitments, our promises, our seriousness, our zeal, our service are not ever sufficient for our salvation and will not be the measure that God will use for our salvation. He calls each of us to faith and repentance. Jesus just so clearly in Mark 1, right from the get-go in his ministry, announces that the kingdom has come, that he is beginning to invite people in through his life and death and resurrection, and that we enter that kingdom by faith in him, believing in Christ and Christ alone, trusting in grace and not our own works, and repenting of willful sin um, in response and in faith. And then, when we do uh, those and are saved by God, being baptized by immersion in water is what we see the New Testament to emphasize as the visible expression of our allegiance and devotion to Christ. We believe the New Testament makes baptism critically important in following Christ. It's an important step and not one to be skipped by believers. And it's fitting here to say that in two weeks, two Sundays from now, we plan to baptize a Christ follower 
And if there would be anybody else that senses that desire and has that desire as a follower of Christ, and I don't care if it's been 25 years that you followed Christ. If you haven't been baptized, we want to invite you in two weeks to join us. So please reach out to an elder in the next few days. If God is so stirring your heart, we would rejoice in that. So with those foundations then, these are the things that we think uh, the scriptures emphasize and call us to as members of the body of Christ. First of all, to be faithfully pressing to grow, that our goal is not simply get in the door of the kingdom of God and then it doesn't make that much impact on our lives, but to give ourselves, even as we just uh, sang, to devote ourselves fully to take up our cross and to follow him, to invest the time that we need to in God's word and in prayer, to fuel and nurture our own souls as well as us for to, to pass that on to others. So, how strong is your desire to grow spiritually? Is it an ambition of yours for which you make life decisions that enable and help you to do so? And are you regularly seeking to help others in this body grow and mature in Christ? Secondly, are you praying faithfully for this church and for the needs of it as well as the individuals within it? Tim Challies made an interesting remark in uh, an article recently. He said, few people want to be part of a church that doesn't pray, but few people want to attend a prayer meeting. You should think about this conundrum. But do you care enough about the others in this body that you think about them, that you pray about them, and realize that lots of things happen in a body this size that you are, don't know anything about, but when God does make you aware. Do you turn to prayer and are we committed to praying for each other and praying for each and every one of us? Third, are you seeking to live a life dominated by love, by dying to selfishness and self-centeredness and living fully for Christ? Would you say you are growing in grasping how much God loves you and as a result and in turn then seeking to love others in the same way. Is love an important part of your focus in your daily life? Are you becoming a more or less loving person with time? Fourth, are you increasingly desiring to live a holy or a holier and holier life in terms of dying to sin and living to righteousness? to having the Spirit produce that fruit in you? Is there sin in your life you are hiding from others? Your spouse, your family, this church, your friends? Are there ways in which you're not repenting and confessing as you should be? D.A. Carson reminds us, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, People do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. They drift toward compromise. Fifth, are you fellowshipping with intentionality with others in this body? Uh, later I'll talk about some specific ways that we feel are important. But are you keeping fellowship with other believers as an integral part of a high life priority, an integral part of your week? Do you work hard to not miss those times when you can connect with people because you value it and know that you need it? Sixth, 
Is your heart sensitive to others to the extent that you express care for them? We certainly cannot take away somebody else's burden from them carrying it, but we can certainly walk alongside and do the things that God's empowered us to do with each other to help lighten those loads and to help somebody just struggle and crawl through those burdens until they find the relief. So when you are aware of others' difficulties, do you see if there are ways you can minister to them? Or do you look away and carry on with life because you're too busy? Seventh, are you serving as much as you can and should be in the sense of what God has gifted you and the place in life, the season in life that you are? Are you actively functioning, whether you're an eye, a toe, a ligament, to bless others? When you gather at church, in life group, or wherever, do you come focused just on you, or do you come looking for how you can be a blessing to somebody else? Eighth, are you living in a way that allows you to be generous and to give? A little more time on this one. Are you giving worshipfully, faithfully, cheerfully to the church for the sake of Christ and the gospel? With inflation tightening our budgets, are you still giving with faith that God will provide? With so many organizations begging you for dollars, I think I got three emails in one day at the end of the year from an organization. Are you kidding me? The voices asking for our money are loud and many. It is a chorus of voices from both the secular world and within the universal church. But are you holding to what 1 Corinthians 16 speaks of as part of how churches and church bodies are a blessing to each other? So this past year, remember that we have 128 households. This last year, and I don't see the receipts, but the person who, the one person who does for tax purposes said that about 80 households gave in 2023. Now, if you give in cash, we don't have an ability to track that, but less than $5,000 was given last year in cash. The rest of it, hundreds of thousands of dollars, comes through giving that can be tracked and marked. That means that about one-third of our body didn't give a penny to the work that God is doing here. And so you may be giving it elsewhere. Don't want to assume anything. But if you're not giving, if times are tight and you've just buckled down and said giving is something I'm going to give up, we just urge you not just for the sake of us, but for your own spiritual good to continue to give as you can. C.S. Lewis's thoughts here are perhaps helpful. I do not believe one should settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, for most of us, that's our neighborhoods, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are probably too small. 
There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Ninth, are you keeping an attitude of submissiveness and cooperation with those in authority over you? Again, within the church, but also within all of the world. Just what's your posture toward those who have authority, leadership over you? Do you follow willingly? Do you contribute? Do you work toward what they are trying to lead toward? Or do you tend to resist and criticize and throw rocks at? And tenth, are you seeking to actively and courageously be a witness of Jesus Christ in obedience to the Great Commission? We have been trying, as elders, to up our game in this area of our church life. We try always to have the gospel in the bulletin for you. We've put tracks at each door that we invite you, urge you to take and to share with others and to carry around with you. We've hold, we hold uh, Sunday school classes that are specifically targeted to grow people in evangelism. We've started a life group this year for the first time whose primary focus is evangelism and praying about it and urging each other and encouraging each other. In it. It's on Tuesday night. So lots of things we're trying to do to enable you, but you can lead a horse to water. You can't make a drink. We want to continue to urge you Let's pray in these times as the world has so much crisis and so much uh, negative going on in the midst of that to be faithful lights and salt who do not hide it from the world but proclaim it wherever God gives us opportunity. And in light of that, there's an evangelist in our body who wants to go door-to-door in this neighborhood and would love to have some of you accompany him. Would you pray about it? Think about it? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's terrifying, but it would be the best thing for your faith. Um, And would you pray that God will use these efforts to bring more to know him in an eternal way? So, walking through those 10, are there things you see that you need to confess and repent of? And what are the things that you can thank God for the way that he has worked and grown you in those things? Just want to urge you in this that we can truly pursue and attain these things Because of Christ, I think, Dexter, it's the next slide, but I'm not positive. Yes. So at the top of our covenant, we always say in all these things, it's because of God's grace working in us, it's the Holy Spirit working in us, and it's the gospel working in us. But I also want to just urge you that Christ is to be the motive and the reason why we do this. Don't do this because Rob said so. Don't do this because if people look at you, they'll think you're not. Do this for Jesus as you think of him and all he's done for you. He's our empowerment, relying every moment, especially when we're sharing the gospel and perhaps terrified and feel tongue-tied, trusting Christ to do his work through our meager efforts. And then that Christ would be glorified, not ourselves praised, not ourselves built up, not even this church per se, but for his sake, for the sake of the gospel, and for the glory of his great name. Jonathan Edwards made... Do I have time for this? Not really. Jonathan Edwards made 80-some resolutions as a 19-year-old young man about how he wanted to live his life. And he prefaced them with this. Being sensible, I am unable to do anything without God's help. I humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions as far as they are agreeable to his will 
for Christ's sake. May that spirit drive our own resolve in 2024. We just try to have a few thoughts uh, to close out our time. Uh, you got to realize that I reflect on this for an entire year, um, jotting down things, sticking them in a folder, and then trying to put some uh, meat to them and just, yeah, always feel lost. But I do want to preface this to say, I often push you hard on this Sunday to the point that sometimes people have left this church over Covenant Renewal Sunday. So I want to be sensitive to that. At the same time, many of us need to be pushed a little bit. And if you're honest, that might be you. There's some of you that are absolutely amazing in what you're doing in this body to build it up. Uh, You'll probably take these to heart and grow even more. But for those of us, uh, perhaps, who are not giving our all yet, as God would have us do, I trust that today spurs you on in that. A couple of closing quotes, a few other very quick random thoughts, and then we'll gather around his table. This is a little longer quote by Ray Orland. Um, I had to send my slides in on Monday, and <laughs> yeah, they, they lacked these, but lacked lots, but um, just... One, I think they capture better than I can say some thoughts. Ray Ortland, if your relationship with your church is ambiguous and sporadic and subject to convenience, the problem is not your relationship with your church. The problem is your relationship with Christ. He has made his loyalty clear. To God, the most important thing in all of created reality is his church a crown of beauty in his hand. Want to experience true happiness in Christ? If so, your local church is going to feel at times like an inconvenience. It will cost you something. God is calling us to make adjustments in the areas of our lives that are hindering us from costly participation in the mission of the church. Not because he wants to take anything away from us, but because he wants to give us more joy in Christ. For the sake of greater satisfaction in Jesus, let's stop orienting his church to our lives and begin orienting our lives to his church. When that happens, we'll no longer be treating the church like a commodity that is subject to our convenience. Instead, we'll be delighting in it as the precious bride for which Christ laid down his life. We can tell how precious the church is to us by how relationally invested we are in it and by how high of a priority it has in our weekly schedule. Second quote is by Marshall Siegel in an article entitled, No Family is Too Busy for Church. But I also want to say, to those of you who don't have children in your home and are single, that I think the principles still apply here. As I've come into marriage and parenting, I've watched others around me do the same thing, and I have both sympathized and grieved over a common casualty in families, the church. As my wife and I have found love and welcomed children and bought homes and invested in careers and cultivated friendships and pursued hobbies, 
Have we forgotten or neglected our precious and vital place in the people of God? Six years into marriage and five into fatherhood, I have felt the subtle way Satan casts the church against family life and family life against the church. The church, however, is not the enemy of the Christian family, but its devoted ally and fullest destiny. Healthy families know how desperately they need the church, and they gladly build their lives around her in order to serve, nurture, and love her. They, are not, they not only hope for family-friendly churches, but they strive to become church-friendly families. We may, later in the article, we may look at the church and see inconvenience, formality, and monotony, but heaven is arrested by her. Watching salvation unfold and spread through cracked pews and simple living rooms. God bends all of history to hold up the glory of his grace to and through the church. The king of the universe loves the church. The heavens are in awe of her, and your family needs her. What an incredible plan God has for his church, for us, for First Street Bible Church, if we will continue to align ourselves as leaders and as members with his will and his design. It's an interesting short phrase in 1 Corinthians 14 that we'll close thinking a little bit about. Strive to excel in building up the church. Not just strive to do a little bit better than maybe you have in the past. Not strive to do better than those people who hardly ever go to church. You, personally, strive to excel, to make one of the things you're most passionate about in your life and do best, so to speak, in building up the church as God's intended for us to do by our own individual involvement. Editing like crazy. Let me close with these thoughts, and then let's come to the table with our failures. I want to encourage you to be active in the body because all of us, I don't care how smart we are, how long we've walked with the Lord, all of us need reminders just about every day. In fact, Hebrews 3 is exhort one another every day daily because we need it but certainly all of us need it and some of these reminders come very powerfully through the church and our relationships in the church to remember the son to remember the spirit to the word the gospel his people and how life-giving fellowship with them is our need to repent of fresh sin our faith to be encouraged and bolstered by others for the reminders of our life purposes like we were made more like Christ. We are made more like Christ through our body life, more than we ever could be without it. The goal is not a participation award from Jesus in the end, but that we deeply embedded ourselves in it for his glory, for his honor, to be a part of a bride that we long to be as ready and as eager to meet the bridegroom as we can possibly be. So, Everybody who's a part of the body, I just want to urge you to invest yourself more deeply in the midst of a season or a, in history where, and in our nation where all kinds of things are pulling you in all kinds of other directions. 
May we continue to hold up as a high priority in our lives the church and then this local expression of it and the people who are here. If you are members, would you just, uh, before the Lord now, recommit yourself afresh to these promises that you have made and to ask God to use them greatly to build his church through you. And if you're not yet a member, we want to just encourage you again to consider uh, tethering yourself more to this body in covenant. Does it make you more righteous before God? No. But might it help you be more committed to keep your word and live those out? Perhaps. Certainly worth considering and praying about. And if you're unsure yet, come talk to us. But there'll be applications for membership at both doors, I think, with the ushers, as well as the directories when you leave. But just want to urge you to be praying along with us, the elders and the deacons and the leaders, to continue to ask God to ready us for the day that he comes for us. We want to gather in these closing minutes around the Lord's table as uh, a critical part of why we gather together and of what we are about. So let's eat bread together and let's drink a cup together, looking back at our Savior. As Robert Murray McShane says, it's good to consider your ways, but it's far better to consider Jesus. And he also said, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Let's let him in these closing minutes attract us to his beauty, the beauty of his gruesome death and pain for our sin, the beauty of his resurrection, and the beauty of him making us his body that he now in heaven actively works for our sanctification. Two scriptures that make this particularly powerful is in the Acts 20 text that we looked at earlier is the fact that Christ didn't just obtain individual believers with his blood. He bought an organism. He paid for and created and began the church in order for it to, to give, be a part of how he gives out his life to us. And then in Ephesians 5, which we know of famously as a husband and wife section, and because of that, we often miss just looking at Jesus in the middle of it. So forget husbands and wives for a moment and just think, Christ loved not just individual believers, but the church and gave himself for her. Notice the pronouns here. That his bride, that he might sanctify her, cleanse her, wash her, so that in the end he'll present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing because by him she has been made holy and without blemish. Oh, how Christ loves and cherishes the church. What a sacrifice he made to make her, the church, his. How he is investing himself to prepare her for his return and how even now at the table he will nourish us so that we can be used by him to build up his glorious church.